2: dot Dot com.
3: to know about this before we play it Sean from Jimmy Kimmel last night so Jimmy Kimmel uh
2: trying to figure out if the uh the traditional Canadians are are so friendly uh tradition what the the rumors that Canadians are too friendly he sent his staff up there to find out how friendly they are Perfect. with some to bait them into some good old-fashioned NBA trash talk here's what Raptors fans uh presented
0: I mean, they're a great team. I don't think I can trash talk them. I think they're in the finals for a reason.
4: Why would I trash talk them? They haven't done nothing wrong to me or my team. All all I'm saying is
3: everybody's playing right. So if they want to win, they better play better than us. That's all I can say.
5: (laughs) Golden State ain't so golden anymore, huh? Wow. You're losing tonight. You're losing. That's it. That's my trash talk.
3: I have a feeling if you talk to a lot of people in Oakland about, uh, say something mean about Toronto, they can come up with something a little salty. You want to beat us, you got to play better than we do
2: tonight, yeah? (laughs) It's hilarious. You know, for those who
6: don't get jokes, my anti-Canadian belligerence through the years, that's what it's about. Canadians are just such nice people. The idea that anybody would be anti-Canadian is just... It's ridiculous, which is, you know, my point. We're going to talk to I'm, Love Canada.
3: We're going to talk to Mike Lyons coming up a little bit. He's our go-to on any any question of military. And we're going to talk about D-Day with him. And I, I look forward to it because he's a military historian, among other things. And- Uh, Yes, and we mentioned that uh, uh, Saving Private Ryan is seen as the most accurate, particularly the first 30 minutes of what D-Day was like. We got this text, and freaking Shakespeare in Love got the Oscar that year. Horse (laughs) ass. My friend, high five. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. No Shakespeare in Love got the Oscar over Saving Private Ryan. Right. That's just crazy. Next, Joe will explain his bitterness toward awards for art.
6: I just the, the <laughs> Grammys, the Oscars. I hate it all.
3: Well, and uh, I, uh, nobody wants to hear about. It. But one of one of the main things with with art on whether or not it's good is the test of time. Yes, and Saving Private Ryan will be watched forever. Is still talked about. Who even I want to watch it now? Who even remembers Shakespeare and Love existed? Ugh. Anyway, strange,
2: but that was um, Harvey Weinstein's first real big picture that got some major... Like that was uh, kind of the totem maker of him and, and that production company.
3: And and There's another uh, reason to hate
2: it. Gwyneth Paltrow's uh, breasts first started starring role
6: as yes. well as they were prominently <laughs> featured. Whatever. Um and, and she was launched toward a, a long career of being utterly insufferable. <laughs> so many reasons to hate that movie. I heard a discussion this morning on one of the Moron Channels about how Facebook should have stepped in and and then censored, taken off that Nancy Pelosi sounding drunk video. <laughs> and the expert who was on said, no, no, that you can't do that. I mean, number one, it's a parody of, it's criticism of a powerful government figure. Joe, hey, morning, Joe. Do you really want to have a giant corporation censor? Criticism of government officials,
3: well, even so, if it's unfair, or ridiculous. How about you just start with this? Put up a video. How American is that? Put up a video of Trump talking slow and sounding stupid, and you're going to argue you want that down? Please. There on uh, MSNBC, right. you right. you think that should be taken down? That's just out of bounds, making fun of Trump like that, and making him sound stupid.
6: They on. they have begun having hearings uh, on uh, Capitol Hill, and I'm sure nothing but, but but truth, light, and goodness will result from those hearings if Congress is in charge. But uh, on what to do about the tech giants, are they monopolies, what, how should they be regulated, are they publishers, are they merely uh, sounding boards, Or what are they and how do we deal with them? And it's a legitimate series of questions. But keep this in mind, four of the biggest tech companies are amassing an army of lobbyists as they prepare for the epic fight over their futures. Now, the tech giants who were initially slow, according to the New York Times, to develop a uh, a presence in Washington, but Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google, that's alphabetical order, have rapidly built themselves into some of the largest players in the influence and access industry. I
3: I find it interesting that those people are lumped together because, I mean, Amazon, Facebook, and Google, all three are so completely different in what they do. They're on a computer.
6: Mm, Yes and no. They are all in the data harvesting business. That their the, excuse for harvesting your data may vary from Google to Amazon. Well, but Facebook's, got the no, same business.
3: Facebook's got no real other way to make money. I mean, they got ads, but their real money isn't selling your data. Amazon's making a lot of money shipping oh, shit abs- stuff around.
2: Absolutely true. Um, well, and the, but the, they're also in the data harvesting business. Those ads are sold based on the data that they've harvested with the yeah. targeting of it. So even, guess, even the ad-based stuff is based off harvesting your data.
3: I guess my only point is I'm scared to death of Google and Facebook. I'm really not that scared of Amazon. You should be. Other yeah. than... In you what absolutely way, should be. What am I scared of? Yeah. Because I'm worried about doing their monopoly. This, but, they're doing the same thing,
6: but they've lured you in. And, and th- that's using unnecessarily uh, scary language, but... They absolutely ship stuff to your house real quick that you mm-hmm. need. but they're Soon also to be on doing, drones. They're, they're, no, no, it's not. Um, they're <laughs> also doing what Google and Facebook are doing, and they have your guard 100% down because you appreciate them getting paper towel to your house so fast.
3: So they're selling uh, my information also? They're harvesting
6: and selling like maniacs. My organs. It, it, well, that that's nice. next. Via drone. Uh, But the four companies spent a a combined $55 million on lobbying last year, doubling their combined spending from 2016 and are spending at an even higher rate uh, this year. And uh, have become the
3: most powerful lobbying force in D.C. Well, I can see why they'd be doing it in Europe. They said, no, the, the, the you can't do that with people's information. Right. It's a gold mine. Yeah. It'd be as if our government all of a sudden said during the gold rush, oh, we're closing the gold mines. We decided that's not cool. You can't go get gold. Right. Um, they, all three companies would have to, particularly Google and Facebook, would have to completely rethink what they are. Right. Yeah, because
6: they have no sideline like Amazon. I get your point. Hey, this is a huge story. We'll be talking about it more today and more in the days to come. But we want to leave plenty of time for our good friend, uh, Mike Lyons,
3: to talk about D-Day. Yeah, and we got to play a, some more of that song that has become the number one song from a, a yeah. World War II yeah. veteran, a D-Day veteran. If you haven't heard this, it is it is something else. That's on the way on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong.
5: The Armstrong and Getty Show.
1: There was not one man
0: in all our
1: crew but knew what lay in store. For we had waited for that day through five long years of war. We knew that many would not return but all our hearts were true. Or oh, we were bound for Normandy. Well, we had a job to do. That's
3: Jim Radford singing what is the number one song on Amazon's singles chart. He was 15 on a ship's galley on June 6, 1944, making him the youngest known D-Day veteran. And it is all our luck that he can carry a tune. Yeah. <laughs> Once he decided to sing a song, but that, yeah. that is that is some song. We have actually decided we're gonna play the whole song at the end of the show. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's pretty cool. Good luck
6: keeping a dry eye. Uh we're joined now by good friend of the Armstrong and Getty Show, Mike Lyons, military analyst for CBS News, uh major Mike Lyons significantly. Mike, how are you, sir?
5: Good morning, guys. Great to be back with you today of all days.
6: It's it's always a pleasure. So, as a a uh, man who has actually commanded troops um, in combat, what do you think of when you think of D Day? What what thoughts spring to mind?
5: Yeah, I think first of all, Dwight Eisenhower and how he was the right person at the right place at the right time in history for the job, and about how powerful he was to make the decision that he made, um, getting input from all his other commanders. There's a big report this morning on the weathermen about how we had an advantage on the weather in terms of when we knew this the slight window of when the military operation had to take place in order for it to succeed and how the thrust of that was on his shoulders to make that decision and how as soon as he made that decision to go, delayed it for a day, and then the, the next day said, okay, we'll go, makes that decision, and he goes from being the most powerful man in the world to really the most powerless man. He has no power then. Everything is turned over to the local commanders to execute on the mission and those men that day, 75 years ago today, executed it perfectly um, with uh, vehicles that were uh, newly invented with airplanes that were just built uh, against an enemy to, to, save, um, to save tyranny and civilization for what we know. I, I believe June 6, 1944 is the most significant day in the 20th century, and had it gone any differently, we would not see the world we have today.
6: Jack mentioned some of the numbers behind the D-Day uh, invasion uh, in the last hour. The evening.
3: 5,300 ships, 11,000 airplanes, 175,000 men deposited in one area basically overnight with 50,000 vehicles of all types. It's just astonishing.
5: No, it is. And you, know, you think of all the conditions that went into that and how um, you know, we dropped uh, airplanes and, and gliders. You know, men landed in fields. Uh, six hours before twelve thirty, one one o'clock in the morning, in Saint Mary Place and places, the airborne troops jumped in from the sky against bullets that were there, and um, you know, whole whole ships unfortunately were were sunk, in the channel never made it out. Men were never even it, got out of their boats. Uh, the level of sacrifice again was just amazing, I, I think. And you, you look at movies like Saving Private Ryan, you see what uh, what that sacrifice you see in the beginning of how that that was something that's always with me. And um, it is the, the logistical, the, the wind up of that fist. Never could take, couldn't do that again today because you wouldn't have the same element of surprise. But, right, be impossible, um, right. Be impossible.
6: Yeah. Well, and, and you can speak with much more authority than I can on this topic, but you have the contrast between the astounding, the nearly incomprehensible sophistication of the planning, and then mm-hmm. the moment the paratroopers were in the fields and the troops hit the beach, to quote Colonel Paul Good, who was uh, briefing the 175th infantry regiment 29th infantry division he said get your ass on the beach i'll be there waiting for you and i'll tell you what to do there ain't anything in this plan that's going to go right and right. so the minute you meet the enemy then it's overcoming obstacles it's it's changing right. on the fly it's creativity and and yeah. and you know and may the better force prevail
5: yeah and one thing that uh our enemies, the, the Russians and the Germans, say about American forces back then is we don't pay attention to our doctrine. And that, you're right, once we hit the beach and once the, the plan uh, it meets enemy contact, everything goes out the window and it's down to American initiative and wherewithal. And that's really what separates our country. I, it, I, I saw it when I was in command in battle and I see it every day and how we train it's one of the undercurrents of of how i think we raise our our children it's it's part of our athletic department it's all it's all part of our culture that americans will do whatever it takes uh, to get the job done we had great intent that day the intent to your point was take that beach and don't give it up once we did it and 150,000 men made sure that was the case
3: so I was watching the NBA Finals last night. And there was some analysis where they were saying, you know, to win a championship, you got to have really good play and it just takes some luck. And all the people that had won championships agreed that you got to have some luck on your side. What luck did we have on our side of the allies for this to happen aside from the weather, which is a pretty big deal?
5: Yeah, I think the luck was one thing didn't go wrong. Um, You know, if one major aspect of it, in any big operation, there's always one or two linchpins that if you pull those things out, it doesn't happen. We talked about 9-11, for example. If one stewardess just said, hey, you know, these guys look kind of funny in first place, first, first class here, something's going on with these guys, and pull those guys aside, the whole operation falls apart. So... That's what ha- didn't happen during D-Day. There was not, you know, there wasn't a hidden German tank division that was on the horizon because uh, that's what it would have taken. Another, you know, a, c- a couple of uh, 360, 400 German tanks could have changed the entire picture of what happened that day. They could have wreaked havoc along the beach and could have thrown those American, Canadian and British forces back into the sea. That's where we got lucky. There was not that one linchpin that when you pulled it out, the operation totally changed.
6: Well, in getting back to the weather, my understanding of it was that the meteorologist told Ike, you can probably do it on June 6th, looks okay. And he mm-hmm. said, all right, let's do it. And they also told him, listen, a week from today, it ought to be great. And as it turns out, a week from today turned out to be the most severe windstorm ever seen in yeah. that region. They just got it that wrong. And if Ike had said, yeah, we can wait a week. I mean, that, yeah. that might have turned human history.
5: Yeah, cause it also was the moon. They wanted to make sure that the moon was right. Uh, you attack at dawn uh, as the sun comes up in the enemy's face, and, and having the moonlight to travel a- along the channel was something that was important to him. So the moon would have been less uh, a week later there, too. But, um, and he already delayed it a day, and that's the thing. Uh, having been in a combat zone where we had the same thing, we were D-2, and we were put on hold back in Desert Storm, I could tell you this, when you're, when you're leaning forward ready to go and you're on your vehicles and all of a sudden you get told to wait, uh, that creates a whole different situation. Now, you multiply that by 150,000 troops, that's a pretty significant waiting period. He knew those troops were on those ships. He knew they were going to be seasick if they didn't get moving, so he only could wait only 24 hours.
3: There seems to be a, um, um, a lack of understanding of what happened after June 6th as the, the battle for Normandy went on for two and a half months and a lot of people died.
5: It did. It's called the breakout at St. Lowe and that just has to do with the kind of terrain that was there and how the Germans were able to reinforce some of their units. Uh, We were not able to get enough equipment there and to to figure out a place to, to, again, break that front line and move uh, in a direction due east at the time, head first to Paris and then uh, eventually through the Rhine, uh, across the Rhine into into Berlin. But it took them a couple of weeks. Um, They were trying to get uh, through the middle of July, so D-Day is in June. uh, By the end of July, August, the breakout starts to take place. And then Operation Market Garden, the battle in Arnhem, takes place in, uh, in September, which was a, unfortunately a failure from the Allies' perspective. It was the plan from the Brits in order to try to end the war quickly. Uh, that was the movie A Bridge Too Far. But, um, but again, it, it was some heavy battles that took place uh, along the St. Lowe area that, uh, that took place after D-Day.
6: Right. I think what's forgotten, what Jack was pointing out, is the, uh, the amphibious assault and the paratroopers, the rest of it, was to give us a chance to retake france and once the the assault was successful then commenced the many weeks long battle which was uh, terribly terribly costly and so i just don't want people who are you know casual fans of history to think okay so we, uh, we we landed on the beach and beat the germans and then just went and enjoyed some champagne in in paris it wasn't like that at all it was just no no
5: yeah paris was liberated till the summer and uh, you didn't have VE Day until April of you know, 1945. You you h- ended up again. Market Garden. The U.S. lost a couple hundred thousand troops between D-Day and uh, the end of uh, the end of the war in Europe. Yeah, the Battle of the Bulge that took place uh, in uh, in December. So you follow Echo Company, first of the 505th Band of Brothers. You follow one of those units, and you can see they they endured tremendous hardship from the second that they landed on D-Day, and those guys in particular parachuted nope. in.
3: Well, Mike Lyons, we appreciate you coming on today to give your perspective. And I guess we all hope that we never have a day that, uh, that bests that in terms of defending the free world.
6: Yep. Mike, yeah. Mike, uh, I'm sorry. We've got like 20 seconds left. So Just
5: uh, uh, one, one thing on today, a day like today, just be an American worth fighting for because uh, some uh, men died for us uh, 75 years ago today. And I, that's how we've got to live our lives right now. And
6: are still doing it today. Don't forget that. Mike Lyons, thank you so much.
4: What's coming up in your news, Marsha Phillips? Wrapping up the D-Day ceremonies at Normandy, what Nancy Pelosi really wants to see happen to President Trump. Yeah. And yeah. survey says living with your parents isn't embarrassing until you're how old? <laughs> oh, excellent. That's all next.
0: Armstrong and Getty.
3: we got lots to talk about today. I hope you can uh, stay with us. Oh, yeah. Blockbuster
6: show. Yeah, it actually is. I would like to make two brief points before Marshall commences the news. I have a collection of inspiring D-Day quotes. I have added one from none other than Major Mike Lyons. Be an American worth fighting for. That's a good one. That's a really good one. Way to go, Mike. Second thing is, I I, I don't know if we ought to replay it or Jack ought to just try to summon it up, but to repeat your screed of last hour about, you know, with all due respect to the uh, respect paid to the veterans of D-Day and that historic day and the 75th anniversary and and the heroism, etc., we have guys doing the same thing right now. Different places, different stakes, um, certainly. But people are fighting and dying and sacrificing today, and nobody's paying attention. So don't let the one be the substitute for the other. All right.
4: Let's get the news now with Marshall Phillips well, The uh, ceremonies continue World War II veterans were joined by President Trump and French President Macron in Normandy today to mark the 75th anniversary of the D-Day invasion To more than 170 veterans of the
1: second
0: world war who join us today you are among the very greatest Americans who will ever live You are the pride of our nation you are the glory of our republic, and we thank you from the bottom of our hearts.
3: Ceremonies. Here's a Normandia? question for you. Yes. How do the Germans feel about all this? We've gotten a bunch of texts asking that question. Uh, yeah. Do they do anything in uh, in Berlin today, or anywhere in Germany? Is it? I doubt do, they, it. do they even know the day exists? Oh, you know, I'll bet they've noticed. <laughs> I remember. They are next door to France. I remember uh, drinking late night at a yeah. pub in in, in England. With the owner, he closed the doors and we got drunk together. Yes. Uh, it was uh, just awesome. Yeah. But anyway, the 4th of July, he was completely, it was a date in the the American Revolution and all that. It, just nothing to him. Right. Of course. Oh,
6: y'all declared in the, into, on the 4th of July. I'll be damned. Okay. Interesting. Anyway. <laughs> when,
3: you're on here, the losings, when you're on the <laughs> losing sides of things, you don't tend to commemorate all them right. and memorize them in your nation's lore quite the same way.
6: And you know, it's funny. I don't even know why I'm pointing this out, but uh, there were an astonishingly there was an astonishing astonishingly small percentage of German soldiers who are Nazis. There are guys who followed who followed orders because they had to. Those kids who were fighting and dying on in France uh, on that side were just soldiers too.
3: Right? Yeah, you I know, an, it's worth remembering. I, I, I got an interesting point on that from a historian coming up a little later. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. The whole fighting when you weren't a Nazi thing. But anyway, back to you, Which is
6: why, you know, gung-ho civilians should be cautious about saying, Yeah, we
4: should should fight them. Send over the boys. Let's give them an ass-whooping. Yeah, let's let's not do that casually. Meanwhile, more health care access is going to be given to veterans starting today. It's thanks to a law that was signed last year by President Trump that makes more vets eligible for VA-sponsored private care. Now the VA will pay. Some for...
3: people think this is awesome. Some people think this is horrible. If you think it's horrible,
6: I would like to fight you in an alley. <laughs> the VA will I'm now... not sure
4: what that would solve, but I, I'm just saying I would like to. Uh... The VA will now pay for private doctor visits if vets have to wait more than 20 days or drive more than 30 minutes for primary or mental health care. It's an obvious and
6: an utterly unattackable adjunct to the VA. It's not replacing the VA. It's not going to weaken the VA. It's not going to go away. It's not going to threaten your precious government union jobs. It's
4: helping the vets when they need help. Politico is reporting that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi told senior Democrats that she would like to see President Trump in prison. Politico also said, well, I'd that, like to see you shot out of a cannon. <laughs> neither one of us is going to get our wish. Politico <laughs> also said Pelosi clashed with the House Judiciary Committee chairman, Jerry Nadler, who was pushing to start impeachment proceedings. Apparently, the meeting took place late on Tuesday night, and the company is citing multiple Democratic sources familiar with the meeting. Nadler had asked Pelosi for the second time to let him start the effort to impeach Trump. Pelosi responded, quote, I don't want to see him impeached. I want to see him in prison. <laughs>
6: but, so she's trying to
3: hold uh, off the
4: impeachment crowd while still signaling,
3: look, I don't like the guy,
6: I guess. Right. It's like when my wife
3: talked me into selling
6: my motorcycle. You could use the money for golf. So I thought, wow, wait a minute. I could play golf all the time. I got excited about the other alternative. She saying, no, 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 not the impeachment. Let's put him in jail. So the AOC of the world never, oh yeah, jail, wait a minute, jail, (laughs) they're distracted.
3: So I don't know if we have the audio of this, but Nancy said yesterday um, a lot of people don't know what impeachment means, and she's absolutely right about this. We know this from talking about it when Clinton got impeached. Oh, go ahead.
5: Do you know most people think that impeachment means you're out of office? Did you ever get that feeling, or are you just in the bubble here? They think that you get impeached, you're gone. And that is completely not true.
3: She's absolutely right about this. We know this from back with Clinton. A lot of people think impeached means kicked out of office. Right. And it doesn't. And it, there's it's a, It just it, means tried. It means a trial. And then the jury is the Senate. And there's not a chance in heck that Trump gets booted out by the Senate. And...
6: What is it? A majority of the House to indict and two-thirds of the Senate to convict?
3: Two-thirds? Yeah.
6: Ain't gonna happen. No. Uh,
3: and so... Uh, she should be if I were her I'd be louder about that and explain it to people because some of that loud enthusiasm for impeachment might go down quite a bit if you explain to people what it is right now if Trump took a crap from the top of the Washington Monument directly
6: onto the Constitution you might get two-thirds of the Senate but because he said to Rod Rosenstein you gotta fire Mueller and Rosenstein said no I'm not gonna do that no they're not gonna impeach him they're not going to convict him for that it's impossible
3: How's he climb up there?
6: Well, you take the <laughs> elevator to almost
3: the top. There's then I'm a assuming the
6: ropes. Yeah, okay. there are actually are windows. Colleen, I mean, otherwise it wouldn't be nearly the tourist attraction <laughs> that it is. Just get to the top, and you're looking at walls. It's a it's a lovely view.
3: College graduates, I guess you're right. Windows are really key to the Isn't whole it, thing. You know. Uh, yeah.
6: <laughs> the, uh, welcome to the observation deck. Um,
3: excuse me, I had to be a quibbler, but there
6: are no
4: windows here. <laughs> college grads burdened by high student debt and a host of other things are living back home with their parents a lot longer than they used to the td ameritrade uh, survey went out and asked people about all this they found the stigma of living at home is increasing from what used to be for people in their early 20s this is why judy and i move a lot our kids try to move home they're going (laughs) to knock on the door there's
6: going to be strangers there who are you Well, my parents used to, never mind.
4: (laughs) People uh, say these days, you know, it only becomes embarrassing when your kids are living with you and they're getting close to the age of 30. So by 30, you should be moving out. Look,
3: get five other people in a cheap crappy apartment, share a car, get out on your own. You have no idea, A, how cool it is, and B, how quickly you will get strong enough to handle it. I I agree completely. You're going to be very poor. It's going to be a sucky apartment, (laughs) just like I had. But at least you're out on your own, for God's sake. What happened to this country? <laughs> what happened to
6: our spirit of independence and self-reliance and all? Bring it back, my friends. Bring it back.
3: I can remember then d- d- this is, you know. But that's d- so expensive. Right. D- 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 These kind of stories are annoying. But I can remember when I was living with this guy, <laughs> we made no money. We'd get to the end of the month. As I mentioned earlier, on hot days, when it was hot at night, right. we'd sleep with the doors open, laying on the two couches in our underwear, trying to breathe, trying to <laughs> sleep because it's so hot. We were buying Beanie Weenies four, four cans for a dollar, one case pushing them home in a stolen cart from the grocery store, because neither one of us had gas in our car. Wow. But, do I, but, but would I have rather been living in my parents' house than that? Not a chance! Not even
4: close. <laughs> but your mommy could have taken care of you <laughs> as a grown man. Look at yourselves. One last note, the Raptors down. The Warriors 123-109 last night in Oakland to take a two games to one lead in the NBA Finals. Quiet Leonard led the Raptors with 30 points. Phenomenal performance by Steph Curry. Curry shaking bait. Three pointers. It goes. Steph Curry with a bounce. And the lead is cut to eight. But Curry's forty-seven points not enough.
3: Well, I'm rooting for the Warriors, but I didn't have any of that pain of my team losing. It's just it's not that the team's not there, so it's just you know I don't it know what was it is.
6: A different feeling. Yeah, but I tell you what, they're working as hard as they can. Steve Kerr's a great coach. They're going to figure it out. And whether they'll
2: figure it out enough, uh, we'll see. Part of athletic competition is durability. Sure, sure. The the Warriors have had a really good injury, kind of quote-unquote luck, the previous four years. And maybe it's, you know, equalizing out a little bit.
3: But it's not that near as fun to watch. Correct. And I tell you what,
6: uh, listen, uh, the Warriors needed to make more shots, but the Raptors shot the lights out, man. They looked like a great Basketball team, and not Kawhi Leonard and a bunch of nobodies.
2: I mean, they were a team. Are you guys familiar with the 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 binary performances of one Frederick Van Fleet of the Toronto Raptors, where he was just kind of a, a bench also ran? He's the father of all the guys in Greta Van Fleet. Uh, well, true. <laughs> and you're almost onto the onto the the crux here. He yeah. had a kid, and he's been playing lights out. Ever since. Like, he was averaging like four points a game yeah. before that. He's averaging close to 20 now. Yeah, he had a baby and he gets no sleep and he's rung out like a uh, dad, but
6: he's playing like a man possessed. He's got something to yeah. play for now. There hmm. you go. There you go. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips here. I'm Strong and Getty Show, The Conscience of the Nation. He really ought to talk to his son, the lead singer, about that fringy half shirt he wears. I mean, that, uh, I don't know what era that was a good idea. Son, but, stop uh,
3: calling everybody mama. Yeah. <laughs> Guys don't call women mama these days, son. Stop writing it in your songs. I brought that up to my wife the other day. The idea is, how about if I start referring to you as mama? She was really disgusted by that. <laughs> <laughs> You're uh, looking hot, mama. What? Those two it, things shouldn't go together. You know, no, it and it never the, works. was that a thing in the 70s? But, uh, the women who, who
6: talk to daddy, he's my daddy, you know, stuff that. Dr. That, that, that Freud uh, is on the line, and he uh, says, uh, stop it.
2: I feel like that started in the households where, when children were present, the, hu- the husband yeah, and wife refer yeah. to the <laughs> other as, uh, we, go talk to mom,
6: yeah, go talk to dad. We do that. Sure, yeah, of yeah. course, yeah, but
2: hey, hey, mama, see the
6: way, say the way you move. I <laughs> <Yeah>. mean,
4: <laughs> hey, mama, see the way you move.
3: Yeah, the mama and daddy fan when
6: you get into it. I don't care if my the... mom is going to sweat nor groove, <laughs> to quote the great Robert Plant. Yeah. Yeah.
3: No. It's weird. No, What's yeah. wrong with you people in the seventies? I know. was a weird time. Yeah. It's, 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 <laughs> tell me about it. Uh, we got some more interesting and uh, touching and ama- you know, amazing the, all all the stuff that goes with the D-Day anniversary uh, coming up among other things it's on the Armstrong and Getty show. That was at the NBA Finals last night. Since it was Oakland, they had the local, local, local heroes from Metallica playing the national anthem on guitar.
1: James Hatfield, Kirk Hammett, rocking the anthem
3: fabulous stuff it's mm-hmm. actually kind of cool they do that at games now and again so and then a couple of people I've never seen before in Golden State Warriors outfits came out and lost the game too. I think one of them was selling hot dogs the previous game <laughs> yeah. yeah well he's good at good at that he's better at
6: hot dogs than shooting but what are you gonna do uh so uh listen what we're about to play to you we think you might find uh, quite uh, interesting in and in moving and who knows what else um, this is the actor Brian Cranston which is really not relevant but he's reading a letter home from one of the fellows who stormed the beach uh, on uh, D-Day, seventy-five years ago today.
1: My sweet Mildred, in the faraway distance, one could hear the rumble of the artillery and the brrrpp of machine gun fire. The elements were at their worst. Our landing craft was half filled with water. We used our helmets to throw it overboard, and I never thought we would make it. Some of the boats never reached the shore. It was a horrible sight. The word came, let's go. And there we were in combat, something new in my life. We didn't have a chance to fight back. We were dropped into the water over our heads. With a stream of lead coming at us, we were at the mercy of the Germans. I floated around in the water and was more dead than alive. It was impossible to get ashore got to the beach half-frozen and passed out. When I came to, the fighting was at a climax. I pulled myself together and sought a rifle and around I went trying to find my outfit. Gracious Lord, what was left of them, just 25 out of 160. Our position was desperate, but with sheer will, fear and luck. We overcame all obstacles and pushed inland to capture our first town. Our outfit can be proud of the part that we played in helping to win this war. Today was declared a holiday by Eisenhower, in memoriam of the boys who paid the supreme sacrifice. It was a simple requiem, but with plenty of meaning behind it. Bye, my sweet, love and kisses, Dom.
6: That was pretty good. Wow, what do you say about that? That was pretty good. That's one thing you could say about that. Mm -hmm. Came back. Tell you what your
2: your eloquence is eloquent. (laughs) He found his uh, sweet Mildred, and they had a couple kids, and yeah, they they lived a good life. Nice, yeah. Luck of the
6: draw, to a large extent. Can you imagine? He finally finds a unit. 25 guys out of 160 left. And how about that? He was so hypothermic. And exhausted from trying not to drown, he passed out when he hit the beach. Then wakes up in the midst of the height of combat, and pulled his wits about him. Okay, let's see. Find a gun.
3: Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, and you don't know what you'd uh, you don't know how you'd react if you're in that situation because nobody does until you're there.
6: And listen, you know, uh, the, a lot of the derision heaped on the soft, soft, quick to offend always outraged uh, snowflake generation is uh, partly because it's fun.
3: Um, It is a good time. (laughs) But a a lot
6: of the derision, if you're on the receiving end of that is because, you know, uh, we're uh, a lot of us. Some of us are old enough to have remembered those times. Uh, A lot of us are not, but we were raised by people who did um, who or who were there or lost people or their parents were there, uh, you know, in world war two. And, so we were brought up to understand that, that toughness and, and, and pulling together unity is sometimes necessary to save humanity. And that self-indulgence and whininess and being quick to offend and, and fall down in a pool of tears can be death. It's, it's not just dumb and, and insulting and, and not impressive. It can be deadly. And so, you know, that's, it's maybe worth reflecting on that if uh, you're spending all day looking for reasons to be offended and pretending to fall apart because it gets you attention. That's pathetic. Don't be that way.
3: While we're, while we're in a serious slash sad slash. Or remembrance mode of the show. Um, one of the things that's most powerful about the D-Day book by Stephen Ambrose, and I, I thought I think he did a really good job of this as a uh, as a as a way to tell the story. I was going to read that last night, Jack, but instead opted to watch a basketball game.
6: <laughs> I'm a bad person.
3: Um, and and he catches you off guard with this. So he uh, he has he has a couple of people in the opening chapters, and he he'll tell the story. Here's you know 21 year old young you know whatever his name is Buck Smith. From small town in Indiana, captain of his high school basketball team, you know, a whole background and how all those so- other soldiers loved him so much. And yeah. He was a natural born leader and they all followed him and he was the guy and everybody loved him and they knew as long as he was around. And you, you think in classic Hollywood style, you're kind of building up to, you know, whatever great thing he's going to do. And then they're flying over the plane and a bullet comes up through underneath and he's dead. Anyways, then there's also and it's just that's it. Right. That's it. All that stuff, all that build up his whole life, everything. Everybody loved him, his girl back home, all that stuff. Now he's dead. Right, um, which you know is a good way of making the point because that's the way it works a lot of times. Yeah, and it's uh, it's pretty rough. Which is why a lot of the guys who survived are uh, trying to deal with survivor's
6: guilt. And I I I beg you guys don't you know try not to let that torture you. I mean, it's it's so sad. I mean, it's just you know as uh, Kurt Vonnegut said, uh, "So it goes." It's just the way it is.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: And uh, yeah, I understand it's incredibly difficult, but. At any rate, uh, we have some inspiring D-Day quotes uh, that I think are, are terrific and some really interesting facts about that day and, and all sorts of non-D-Day stuff as well, and including Joe Biden. Has he already stepped on it? Is he already self-destructing?
3: And on the border, a couple of people from China tried to sneak in. Have you heard this story?
2: And there was this story?
6: A gunfight.
3: Yeah, yeah. Stay tuned.
0: Armstrong and Getty.
4: you find your perfect home sweet home
5: we went from normal life
4: healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or b cell all the saint jude team came up to get cj via ambulance shortly after that i
0: noticed a rainbow it meant that there was hope we were driving into hope